King of glory, King of glory, selfish place, just want to be with you, just want to be with you. Just want to be with you. Just want to be with you. Sing it again. King of glory, fill this place. Just want to be with you. Just want to be with you. King of glory. Just want to be with you. Just want to be with you. Let's rejoice for what the Lord has already done. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I know you've been standing a long time. Just we're going to read one verse of Scripture out of Matthew chapter 11. Once again, to all of our guests, we're glad you're here. To everyone that's here, we're glad that you are here this morning. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Notice the next three words. It says, and they say. In other words, it's an accusation or a comment they're making about him. And they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. From these ver- or this verse of Scripture, I want to preach Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Let's pray. Jesus, touch us. We need to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. What a beautiful move of your Spirit we have already had here in this house. And I I do believe, Lord, that this is the right message for this moment, for this hour. We're asking you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We look at a statement like this, and sometimes, unless we really dig into it a little bit, we don't really fully understand nor comprehend what the Lord is trying to tell us. And I, for a moment, I would like you to think about the time that you did not serve the Lord. Uh, in fact, how many of you did not grow up in the church? Raise your hand. How many of you did not grow up in the church? You know, in other words, you weren't saved in the church. You, you know, so you didn't grow up in the church. All right. But I, I would say, by and far, it's most of us. We see a statement like this, and and uh, we again, can't comprehend exactly what the, what the Scripture is trying to tell us. When it says Matthew, in Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Now, it's important to understand that when they accused the Lord, or when they made this statement about Him, it was, in their minds, it was not a positive statement. In fact, it was an indictment. When they said of Jesus that He was a friend of publicans and sinners, it was, a, uh, in, in, it was an insult. It was a put-down. It was criticism. It was not a positive thing that they were saying that when Jesus or that Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. And so I, for a moment, would like to ask you this morning, why are you in the church? Why are you serving the Lord? Not just why are you here today, or why are you in this building. When I say this morning, why are you in the church, I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about what the church really is, because all this is is a place of worship. And we call it a church. We give it the title, a church. But God's definition of the church is flesh and blood. 
It is people that are breathing, people that see and hear, people that can touch and feel, people that know and live what live life. They know life and they live. And so as I, I, I was impressed, I believe, by the Lord when I began thinking about this verse of Scripture that uh, accused the Lord of being a friend of sinners. And we understand that Jesus was not a drunkard and he was not gluttonous like they claimed that he was. But his habit was eating and drinking with sinners. And it was not observing man's assumptions of what God's laws were. And so when the people of that day said that Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners, it was because their religion somehow separated them. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the priests, they were somehow separated from people that did not serve God. And I believe that is an absolute contradiction to the Word of God. We have to understand and know that the way Jesus treated people and his current concern for the lost got him in trouble with the religious elite. The statement, wisdom is justified of our children as read in the scripture we brought to you, is like saying the proof is in the pudding. So they said a statement of him. They said Jesus is a friend of publicans and sinners. And then the writer adds to that and says the proof is in the pudding. Or in other words, uh, he is saying that you, uh, uh, it, the results speak for themselves. The Pharisees, the religious elitists, placed themselves on pedestals and expected to be respected and honored. And I, I do believe in respect. I do believe the Bible tells us to give honor to whom honor is due. But the Pharisees took it to an entirely unscriptural level. They wanted to be honored. They wanted to be praised. They wanted to be lifted up. I go back to what I was saying a few moments ago. Why are you in the church? Why are you here today? There are people here that are ex-drug addicts and ex-alcoholics and ex-womanizers and this and that, all the different things uh, that might have been a part of our life. Uh, I'm preaching to people that were sinners and actually are still sinners uh, because we are all sinners. Amen? And so Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus' ministry knocked the, uh, the elitists' ideals uh, and, and it knocked against their hypocritical religion. Uh, I'm not a fan uh, of a religion that followers, uh, that edifies followers to a place of superiority over the people that we are trying to reach. Uh, I ask you the question again why are we in the church? Why are we breathing? Why are we here today? I'm here to remind you this morning and I, I, I'm not embarrassed to say so uh, and I, I don't care if you don't like the statement or not uh, but I'm here to remind you that Jesus church is here to reach sinners uh, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is here to win people to God that's why we're here I absolutely thank God for great, uh, great music and a great worship service and, and a praise team and the musicians and the drums and the keyboard and the piano and, and, and the, the guitar and, and Lord willing someday a bass and all of the different instruments that will be here. I'm thankful for all of that. Uh, I'm thankful for this assembly that we are here together worshiping the Lord. Uh, but if you are truly a servant of the Lord, uh, then you are also a soul winner. Time and again, Jesus shows them, the religious elitists, how messed up they were in their thinking. In Luke chapter 19, verse 5, it says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, talking about Zacchaeus, uh, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, 
Make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, notice this, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest of a man that was a sinner. Yes, Zacchaeus was a sinner. Yes, he was a traitor of the Jewish people. In their eyes, you couldn't go any lower as being a Jew and working as a tax collector for the Roman government. You could not go any lower. But Jesus said, I need to go home with you today. Hey, they, 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 they puffed up their religious chests and they stood back and they said, my God. God, uh, who does he think he is? Uh, does he even have any idea what kind of a man Zacchaeus is? Uh, is he ignorant? Is he stupid? What is he doing? Uh, he's going to dinner with a sinner. Well, duh, what do you think his job description is? Uh, his job description is the Savior. His job description is the healer. His job description is the miracle worker. His, God, his, his job description is God manifest in flesh we have really got to get out of the idea that everything the church does is here in the sanctuary we've got to get out of the mindset uh, that church happens here uh, worship happens here and it should but church happens outside these doors uh, church happens when you go to work tomorrow Excuse me for being a little stirred up, uh, but I absolutely believe that God wants to shake us. Uh, I believe God wants to remind us, why on earth are we here? I'm not saying we should shut down our services. No, not at all. This is the place that we ought to bring uh, the people that we've been working on all week. All right, I got an amen back there. Thank you, Brother James. I said, this is the place uh, that we ought to bring the people that we have been working on, uh, that we have been testifying to, that the light of our life uh, has shone so brightly to them that they say, I must needs go to church with you. Amen. Zacchaeus was a sinner. He was a traitor. Yes, uh, he was a traitor to, to the Jewish people, but he was also a man that was ready to give his life to God, uh, and Jesus knew that, uh, but they didn't care. If it was up to the Pharisees, uh, he would have died and gone to a devil's hell without a concern on their part, uh, but Jesus says he's someone that I'm concerned about. Let me just go on record and say this. I am not afraid of the alcoholic. I'm not afraid of the drug addict. I'm not afraid of the prostitute. I'm not afraid of the gross sinners doing unbelievably ungodly things. I am not afraid of them. Because I know that we serve a God. We serve, we serve a God that can change that in a moment. You need to understand this. We are not the filter to keep people out. We are the filter to bring people in. We're the people that ought to be out there. Listen, I thank God for your religion. I thank God for your experience with him. But if you are so holy and so righteous uh, that you can't win somebody to God, then maybe you ought to change a little bit about yourself. I'm not telling you to go back on holiness or righteousness or anything else. What I am saying is, if you are so holy that you can't talk to somebody that isn't serving God, you need to pray through. I am glad. I, 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 have, I have people, I'm going to use the word sinner. I have sinner friends. And some of you are like, oh. Some of you are shocked. You better not be shocked because I'm supposed to have some sinner friends. That didn't go over too well. The hypocrites said that Jesus was wrong for going to a sinner's house. 
Now, there are places that I, as a servant of God, God I am not going to go to. Amen. But I am going to do my dead level best to win everyone that will hear me and anyone that will receive the words that I might have for them. Let's look at the parable of the Good Samaritan for just a moment in Luke chapter 10. Starting at verse 30, it says, Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now remember, he was talking to religious people when he told this parable. And fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In other words, he was broken down on the side of the road. He was trying to fix his tire. The car fell on him. And then while the car was on top of him, somebody pickpocketed him and took his wallet. All right? The guy is having a bad day. And the priest, the pastor, the minister sees what's going on, sees him. It's not like he didn't see him. He saw him. (laughs) He did see him. And the Bible says that he passed by on the other side. In other words, he gave, them a, he gave him a wide berth. He walked around because he was too busy. He was on his way to church. I can't help somebody fix their tire on the way to church. God forbid. I might miss the first song. I might even miss the offering. Wow, it's getting quiet in here. I'm on my way to preach. And God forbid I don't do what God called me to do. It's my job to be the preacher. So I'm going to go around a long distance and just kind of in the back of my mind, I'm going to say, Lord, bless him, keep him. Send somebody to help him, just not me. By chance, he came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, Levite, the worship leader. That would be Sister Marie Brown this morning. (laughs) The Levite, when he was at the place, came. Now, this is a little different. Looked on him, in other words... No, his chest is going up and down. He's still alive. Okay, see you later. You'll be okay. Likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, not even a full-blood Jew, a half-breed, half-Jew, half-Gentile, And a Samaritan, by the way, the priest was supposed to be a good Jew. And the Levite was supposed to be a good Jew. But now you get this guy that's a half-breed, a Samaritan. You remember the story in the Bible when Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria? That blew people's minds. When Jesus, listen, Jews didn't go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. (laughs) That That was like... A good Christian doesn't go to Harlem. Or a good Christian doesn't go to Art Street in New Britain. Hello. A good Christian, there's a few street corners in New Britain that you don't want to go as a Christian. Somebody sees the preacher going through that, walking down, and there's... That happens to be the corner where there's prostitutes are automatically going to put two and two together and come up with ten. And so likewise, Levi, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and, said, and, and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, notice this, had compassion on him. God, I want you to restore compassion in the church. 
I want you to restore compassion for lost people, for people who are not serving you right now. And went to him and noticed this, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and looked, uh, took care of him. And on the morrow... He departed and took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, I will come again, I will repay thee. Which now Jesus is asking the religious elitists. He's asking the people that are there hearing his parable. He's asking them a question now. And he says, Which now of these thinkest thou was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And he said, no, or, and he said, he that showed mercy on him. That was like choking out an apple. That was like choking out a watermelon for a Jew. For a Jew to say that the Samaritan was the one that did the right thing, it was like, it, you, you just didn't do something like that. But the, 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 Jew, the Jewish religious elitists had to say that it was he that showed mercy on him. Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. In other words, what Jesus said, you see that Samaritan, you see what he did, you should be doing the same thing. But the problem is you are not doing that. You'll go around. You'll give a wide berth. You'll do everything from getting your, your hands dirty. But it's time the church needs to understand that we've got to get our hands dirty. We ought to be teaching Bible studies. We ought to be praying people through in their homes. I've taught home Bible studies when there was one of those bug strips hanging from the ceiling over the table full of, full of bugs. You, you know what those bug strips are? Anybody know what those strips of, of sticky stuff, you know? And, and I'm sitting there at the table, and I looked up, and there are all kinds of flies just kind of hanging there. And when they offered me, Brother Brown, when they offered me a cup of ice water while I was teaching that home Bible study, there was lip prints all over the glass. So now some of you are saying, whoa. You know what? I had no problem sitting there teaching a home Bible study with bugs hanging over my head and lip prints on the glass. I just tried turning to somewhere where there weren't any more lip prints. You say, well, what if you got sick? Well, you know, if I'm doing God's work, I think he can protect me. Just a few weeks later, the proof was in the pudding when somebody's praying through and getting the Holy Ghost in the altar, getting baptized in Jesus' name. We ought to get off of our religious pedestals and understand that God's church is here for a reason. Thank God for our worship services. I appreciate them. Thank God for our fellowship. I appreciate it. But our job description is souls. Would somebody shout amen? amen? The priests and the Levites walked around him and didn't help. God forbid. What a shame. In Luke chapter 10, verse 36, it says, Now, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. There are people in our world that need God. I, I, I hadn't planned on saying this, but I want to say it now. I have been praying every single day that God will help us to reach the Polish community here in New Britain. We've got There are thousands upon thousands of Polish people here in New Britain. We need to be reaching them. We need to have revival in every single nationality here. If you're so religious and you're white, you can't reach out to a black person, you need the Holy Ghost again. 
If you're so religious that you're black and you can't reach out to a white person, you need the Holy Ghost again. I realize I'm going to step on some toes today, but maybe we need some bruised toes so that we'll get up and about the master's business. Amen. Now, I'm going to go through a set of scriptures out of Matthew 23. I'm not going to go through all the verses, but starting at verse 1, it says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude uh, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe. In other words, when they preach the word of God, you need to observe what they say. Then it goes on, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. In other words, they preach it, but they're not doing it. So Jesus is saying, do what they're preaching, but don't do as they do. Is that all right? Jesus was calling them hypocrites for preaching and not doing. Going to verse 4. Notice this. It says, They bind heavy burdens and and grievous to be born. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Again, what Jesus is saying here is what they teach they are not doing. Then in verse 5 it says, But but all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, if I have that right, and enlarge the borders of their garments. And what he was saying is this. It, that that, that phylacteri, I had it right this morning. I said it about ten times. I knew I wasn't going to say it right. But it was like a leather pouch that they would wear. And in that leather pouch would be verses of Scripture. And so the larger that pouch they had was the more Scriptures, the more they were obedient to, the more that they were following likely. And that, But if you study it out, I studied this out a few weeks ago, that word also means isolation. In in, in a different sense, what it means is, or in a negative sense, it means that they were unable to lead others to God. They were so religious. They were religious on the outside. They had that leather thing on them. Uh, Sometimes they would have it on their head. Sometimes they would wear it on their waist, I believe. Uh, Amen. But but they had that, and it it was because they wanted to be seen of men. It said they they enlarged the borders of their garments, uh, or they would would put tassels and other things on their garments, uh, all to be honored of men. Uh, They were wearing the parchments of the Word of God to be seen of men. And Jesus had enough, he had a fill of it. He was up to here with it. He said, They go around being all religious, their garments, they show themselves as being righteous. And he even talked in another time of how when they fasted, they would go on the street corners and they would put ashes upon their foreheads and put on sackcloth and they would be there fasting. And Jesus said, They have their reward because their reward was the honor of men. That's not why we do this. We don't do this to be honored of men. And then in verse 6 it says, it talks about the same people, and love the uppermost rooms at the feast, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets to be called a men. Rabbi, Rabbi. In other words, as they're walking down the street, people would back up and say, Rabbi. And people would back up and bow their heads and say, Rabbi. They loved that, the Bible is saying. They loved to be honored. They loved to be called Rabbi. They loved to seat in the, the, the high seats in these elaborate banquets uh, and I do appreciate when times we have banquets and things I, 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 I really enjoy when we have potluck suppers I enjoy that I really do because I like trying things that you folks will make so I, I grew up a meat and, a pota- meat and potatoes guy anybody else grew up, grow up meat and potatoes people alright now how, how many grew up eating oxtail 
and things like that. Come on, be honest. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide, all right? I, I, I never forget the first time Sister Rima Brown years ago when she said, uh, every Sunday we have oxtail. And I'm thinking, why? What, can't you afford a hamburger? I'm thinking, really? Oh, we go home and have rice and beans. Why? That's the way I just, I was, I didn't grow up that way. You were poor if you didn't have a hamburger or, or, or a steak and mashed potatoes or, or at least mac and cheese, God forbid. And so when the first time she said, we're going home and have an oxtail, I'm thinking like there's something registered in the back of my mind and said, I don't want to eat anything from that end of the animal. I'm like, anyhow, well, God bless you. And so when we would have these fellowship dinners and they would say, that's curry goat or that's jerk pork or that's oxtail, I would say, no, where's the potatoes? Just for righteousness' sake, I would take one scoop of rice and beans because I wanted to show the Spanish people I could actually choke it down. But then I got to taste it. And I was like, ooh, rice and beans really are pretty good. <laughs> Took me a while to admit it but, it, but it was okay. And then when I tried that jerk chicken and curry goat, I grew up meat was not supposed to be green. Just wasn't supposed to be green. If it was green, you threw it out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But I tried it, and it was good. And beef patties, as long as they're not the hot ones, I can handle those. Love those. But for years, I walked by the oxtail. I'm like, I just couldn't get it out of my brain. I'm like, oh, uh-uh. So finally, one day, somebody, I don't know if conjoled me or dared me. Maybe it was more like daring. And so I took a little scoop and put it on my plate. And I was like, wow, where's this stuff been all my life? Short of the fact there's a ton of bones in there or whatever that stuff is, cartilage, I don't know, but it's, but you know, it's actually pretty good. And so I, I like those fellowship type dinners because it, it reminds me that the church is more than just what I grew up with. So I'm not trying to change you from rice and beans to potatoes and meat. I'm fine with it. But we are one church. We are the body of Christ from all nationalities, all colors, all walks of life. There's not going to be a black section in heaven and a white section in heaven. That might be this way down here on earth in some neighborhoods, but God never intended it to be that way. Amen? And so these religious elitists love to be honored and, and, and revered, and they love the elaborate banquets. Verse 11, it says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's why they were so messed up with the ministry of Jesus, because he was everything that, he was everything that they thought he should not be. You're not supposed to go with sinners. You're not to eat us at a sinner's house. You're not to do this on the Sabbath. You're not, you shouldn't heal. God forbid you would heal some somebody on the Sabbath. Excuse me for saying it, but some people have made a religion out of the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Now I just got myself in trouble. 
They've made a religion out of the Sabbath. I'm not trying to put down anybody. What I'm trying to say, look at Jesus' ministry. And what did he do on the Sabbath? Uh, he told people one day, he said, if your animal falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, are you going to leave it there till the next day? Or are you going to get it out of there? He said, man has, has designed this attitude uh, that the Sabbath, Sabbath is somehow to serve them. Uh, but, or, or they are to serve the Sabbath but the Sabbath is for them. In other words, uh, the Sabbath is a day of worship. Uh, the Sabbath is the way it is a day of doing something for God, uh, not just being locked in a house somewhere, in a church somewhere, in a sanctuary somewhere, but that we should be always doing and abounding with the work of God. Amen? So I, I, I think I lost track. But he, but he said, who is greatest among you, let him be your servant. And whoso shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. What he was telling them is this. Uh, you are to serve, not being served. Verse 13, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus didn't pull any punches. <laughs> For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. In other words, you make it so hard for people to get saved that they have got to do something extraordinary just to come to your church. I was very young in the Lord, just literally just still in my teenage years, when I remember one time when I, when I was walking into the church that I got saved in, and there was this lady sitting outside on the steps. And she was greeting people as they came in. Well, come to find out later, the, the pastor found out why she was there every Sunday morning. She was sitting there every Sunday morning, and when he finally found out, he just let her have it. She would walk up to people that were coming to church and tell them, you can't come to church dressed like that. Let me make a suggestion for your health's sake. Don't ever try that here. <laughs> if I'm not the first one out there pulling you into my office, Brother Brown will be. People call here all the time and say, uh, I, don't, I don't have a dress. Can I come to church? Yes! I can't say yes fast enough. Come, worship God. Love the Lord. Let's worship together. Needless to say, he dealt with it. And so she never did that again. But sometimes we do that with our attitudes. So Jesus was saying, you, you are, in fact, he was telling them you should serve, not be involved with being served, although being served is not bad. It's just that he was telling them you should be servants. The next verse, verse 13 says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go, uh, you, you notice this, he, he says, you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. You place rules on people is what he was saying, that you can't even observe yourself. You are, you are keeping people from heaven is literally what Jesus is saying to them. Skipping to verse 14, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. What he was telling the Pharisees is uh, you are stealing money money from widows that's exactly what they were doing they were stealing money from widows and you pray openly on street corners so that people can think that you are religious verse 15 it says woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte that part sounds good you cross sea and land to win one soul. All right? Sounds good, right? Does that sound good? 
But notice, it says, but when he is made, you make yourself a twofold more child of hell than yourselves. In other words, this is what Jesus Jesus was saying. He says, you go long distances to proselyte, or you go long distances, even across the street, the sea, to win somebody to the Lord, but you're not even witnessing to your neighbor. Verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and an eyes and coming and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you up to you have done and not to leave the other undone. So Jesus honors them for their tithing, but condemns them for doing what they, uh, what they uh, for the fact that they were not merciful to people. He honored them for tithing, but he says you're condemned because you're not merciful. Verse 24, you blind guides, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. When I was brand new in the church, I read that time and time and time again. I'm thinking like, what does that mean? You strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. I mean, think of the, does that kind of mess with your thinking? You're thinking like, okay, what do I, you know, how do you eat a camel? One bite at a time, right? All right, you all just missed that. I mean, you're, you're eating a camel, but you're having a hard time with a gnat. How many of you have ever had your mouth open and a bug fly into it? Come on. Not the thing you all wanted to be thinking about on Sunday morning. But, you know, every once in a while, of course, if you gossip a lot, you're going to get a lot of bugs in your mouth. Because your mouth is open all the time. You all still love me? (laughs) But he says, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. You accept the big things. But the things you should be doing every single day, the way you should be living every single day, you're not doing that. Verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within are full of extortion and excess. He's talking to preachers. He's talking to worship leaders. Within you are full of extortion and excess. Uh, Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup uh, and platter. In other words, uh, what he's telling them is, uh, you show yourself clean outside, but you're filthy inside. Uh, If you will be clean inside... uh, You'll be right outside. That the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like unto whited sepulchers or painted caskets, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Verse 28, it says, Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within uh, you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Hypocrites, what he was saying is you're clean outside but filthy inside. You're full of extortion and excess. You're, you're, you're like a painted casket. You're pretty outside, full of dead bones. You're, you're outwardly religious and inwardly full of iniquity. Amen. I, I remember years ago, and this uh, is an organization that I could name, but I'm not going to. But I remember hearing years ago of a religious organization that was meeting in a particular city to have their, their conference, their yearly convocation or their conference. And they, they held, you know, they, they had a Coliseum-type meeting place, kind of like what the United Pentecostal Church does. And But here's the problem, is that so many of the religious people that were there were viewing pornography on their TVs in their hotel rooms that the hotel server crashed. 
And I'm there for, I'm here to hear preaching. I'm here to have great worship and a great time of God. But when you get out of your meetings and your votes and your this and that, you're online looking at pornography. God forbid these things ought not so to be. Somebody say amen. Verse 33, you serpents. Notice he's talking to them. He's saying, you serpents, you, 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 you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of, of hell? Verse 34, wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, uh, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues uh, and per- persecute them from city to city. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou hast killed the prophets, uh, and stone them which are sent unto thee. And how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and you, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For, uh, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. In a sense, uh, I took this, I was reviewing this this morning, and the Lord w- kind of put this in my heart. Uh, what the Lord is say- was saying here, I believe, was uh, I'm not going to show up in your church services. I'm not going to show up in your synagogues uh, until you get through uh, till you pray through and say blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord Uh, have your religious services sing your religious songs uh, bar sinners from coming to the house of God and I won't show up you want to know the quickest way to close out and to shut down the spirit of God is to not have people that are sinners in church. If it makes you a little more comfortable, is to not have people that are not presently serving God. All right? By the way, I'm a sinner, so I shouldn't be here. All right, nobody got that. Jesus had no love loss for the hypocrites of people that were religious but not religious or right with God. I'm not preaching against religion. I believe in religion. I believe in the Word of God. I believe in in experience with God. But if your experience with God uh, somehow separates you from people that you could potentially win to Him, then you need to work on that. Amen. They they attacked him for healing on the Sabbath, for eating with sinners. Uh, they attacked him. They repeatedly attacked him time and time again. God's people need to learn how to share the message uh, and still remain unspotted from the world. It can be done. I said it can be done. I've got so much more to say, but I'm going to narrow it down here in a few moments. Mark chapter 7, verse 9, it says, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandments of God, uh, that you might keep your own tradition. Uh, If your tradition is not in the Word of God, uh, then you need the Lord to do surgery on your heart and on your mind. Amen? John 8, 3 and 4, it says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set him in his midst, or in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, most of you are adults here, so I hope you would know what the idea or what the phrase in the very act means. Does everybody know that? All right, you're all too uncomfortable about this, aren't you? Do you know what she's committing adultery and she was in the very act? You all know what that means. right? I don't want to have to go all ghetto on you and describe what it's. All right. You all know what it means, right? She was in the very act. All right. Let me ask the question. Where was the boyfriend? Could it be that he was one of their priest friends? Could it be that maybe he was a worship leader? (laughs) Y'all getting uncomfortable with this, aren't you? I don't care. I'm having fun up here. All right. They caught her in the act. 
They brought her to Jesus. The law says, Jesus, the law says. You know what? They had scripture for what they were doing. You all need to hear me this morning. Don't tune me out yet. I know you're thinking about McDonald's or Burger King or wherever you're going. But don't turn me out yet. Don't tune up. Don't turn the channel yet. All right? McDonald's will still have a cheeseburger when you get there. I promise you. They'll even have a fish fillet if you want to be a little more sanctified. All right? So they take her to the Lord. And they throw her down before the Lord. They had scripture. The word of God did say that people that did this kind of thing should be stoned to death. They had Bible for it. And so they threw her at Jesus' feet. They looked at him and with their religious robes on, with their scriptures on their forehead or on their belly, with their long robes with the tassels on them. They, they looked at her, him, and they looked at her and said, Jesus, the Bible says that she should be stoned to death. And so what does Jesus do? He ignores them. I love it. You ignore those hypocrites. You know, the best thing we can do sometimes is just ignore the hypocrites and just keep serving God. Some people say, I don't want to go to church because there's hypocrites there. Well, you may not want to go home because there's hypocrites there too. You may not want to go to the grocery store because guess what? Hypocrites. You all there? Carlos is saying, Brother Tryon, you're getting crazy this morning. That's all right. You, may, you definitely don't want to go to the mall. Mall is full of hypocrites. Some people love Filene's and some love J.C. Penny. But every once in a while, you'll say the J. C. See the J.C. Penny guys in Filene's. God forbid, hypocrites. No matter where you go, there's going to be hypocrites. And whether you want to accept it or not, you are one at times, just like I am. There's times I don't do what I preach. Is that all right? Or you want to fire me? That's okay. <laughs> but so here, here they are. They, they throw her at the Lord's feet, and he ignores them. He starts writing stuff in the ground. I really wish I could somehow get a video of that. I wish there was a DVD available, thumb drive, you know, put it on a thumb drive, whatever, you know, somehow be able to Google it, get it on YouTube or something like that, you know. I would have loved to have seen, I, I would have been right there looking for what he wrote. Now, my personal feeling is he was writing all their girlfriends' names. That's just my personal feeling. So just let me go insane here for just a few moments. See, here he's, right, he's writing on the ground, and he's ignoring them. And finally, there's that long pregnant pause where he's not saying, and finally they say, Jesus, our law says that she should be stoned to death. And he ignores them for a while longer, pregnant pause, just writing down in the, in the ground. Finally, they push the issue to the point where he stands up, and with those eyes, those flaming, fiery eyes of God manifest in flesh, uh, and he's looking into their hearts, and they know it. Uh, he, he's looking into their minds, and they know it. Uh, and he simply says, uh, whichever, whichever one of you is without this sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. You ought to check it out. The way it's written suggests that if there's anyone here that has not committed adultery, go ahead and throw the stone. Now that will open your eyes. And so the Bible tells us from the eldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones on the ground and they left. And after a while, Jesus got back up and he looked at her and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And he said, they're not here anymore. Or she said, they're not here anymore. So he looked at her. He didn't excuse her sin. He didn't whitewash it. 
He didn't say, it's okay, go ahead and do what you were doing. Just when you leave here, just don't get caught the next time. That's not what he said. He said to her, listen, they had Bible for it. They had Bible that said stone her to death. They had word of God for it that said stone her to death. But Jesus said, if you have not committed sin, then go ahead and cast the stone. The one that could cast stones at her was standing right there. His name was Jesus. He was the one that could have cast stones at her, but he refused to do so. He said, I will not, even though I could. And so, so he, he told her, he said, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here. And he said, woman, go and sin no more. So just so I can explain it to you, that's why we're here. That's exactly why we are here. We're not here to judge their sin. We're not here to qualify their righteousness. We're not here to say you can come in and you can't come in. That's not our job. We're not here to say you're accepted and you are not. You're okay and you are not. God is the one and the only one that will do that in the judgment. We, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are here to win souls to God. It is our job description to win souls. Oh, come on, somebody. I hope you're still with me. If we are so religious that we can jump and shout and run and teach a Sunday school class and, and, and preach a message, but yet we cannot win a soul, then we are not where we need to be in God. I've got more. Would you stand with me? I've got so much more. Maybe I'll make this a, a, a second message another time. But I just feel like God wants to touch our lives this morning, that God wants us to become a soul winner. I'm going to ask you, as this altar is open here in just a moment, uh, I am going to ask you to, for, for the unforeseeable future. I was going to say for the next week, uh, but at least the very next week, I want you, and I am going to pray every single day, God, make me a soul winner. And I wonder if there's anybody else here today that you will with me make it your prayer request for the rest of this week and longer if need be. God, make me a soul winner. God, put, put people in my path that I can win them to you. Trust me when I say I've got so much more that I could preach this morning, but I believe God is already pulling for people to come to the altar and to talk to Him. If you want to become a soul winner, if you want to win somebody to the Lord, maybe let me ask it like this. There are so many of you here today that you know what your life before serving God was like. You know the things that you have done in your past. When I look back at my past, I'm thinking, God, I am not qualified to stand in the pulpit and preach the gospel to other people. I'm not qualified to do it. But when I repented of my sins, I felt like a million pounds was lifted off of my heart and out of my mind. When I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, I knew because the Bible tells me that all of my sins have been forgotten by God. It's like having a brand new clean slate. So I stand here as a person that is not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not godly enough. But I stand here as a person that is forgiven, that's been washed in the blood of a spotless lamb. And so if you're here today and you've never had a chance to repent or tell God that you're sorry for what you've done, this altar is open. I don't ever want to tell you that you can't do that. You can because God is here in this house. But my real pull this morning is for those that are here and if you know, Lord Jesus, I need to be a better soul winner. 
I need to share my testimony. I need to have courage to witness. I, I hope this person doesn't mind me saying this, but I got a text. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I got a text. A, I think it was a week or two ago. Someone was, if I remember right, in a grocery store, and they were going to talk to somebody about God, and the person just shut them down. They took the card that they had given them and threw it right in the trash, if, if I remember the story correctly. And the person texted me. And I kind of sensed that maybe they were saying, like, what am I doing wrong? But my answer today is you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything right. See, you are not the judge as to whether or not they're going to receive what you say. You just say it. You just tell them. You just share it. If they refuse it, then their blood, their blood is on their own shoulders, is on their own head. But you've done what God has told you to do. I wonder if there's anybody here today that wants to be a soul when this altar is open. Brother Brown is going to come and lead this altar call. I, for one, want to pray and ask God to help me to be a soul winner, greater soul winner than I've ever done. I, yes, I've won people to God. There's many people serving God today that I've either won indirectly or directly, but that's I'm not satisfied with that. I don't want to just coast into heaven. I want multitudes of people to, to go there with me. I want people to walk up to me in heaven and say thank you for sharing the word of God with me.